Christmas while in Nottinghamshire, certainly this week. So we've got a number of people away as well um, that are just grabbing a few days break. And, uh, but it really is good to see everybody. And if it's your first time at Arena Mansfield, then a particularly warm welcome. We are just an ordinary group of people that have found an extraordinary God in Jesus Christ. And we believe that God's alive, that he's real, that he's got a purpose and destiny for every one of our lives. And that if we'll yield to him, if we'll submit our heart to him in the power of his love, he'll lead us in an amazing way. That's young people. Great to see young people tonight. It's, it's people that have got families. It's people that are older. It's people that are retired. You're not finished. Uh, you, you've still got something in God. You know, this week even, there was um, some news reports regarding uh, the older generation. And uh, there was something like 800,000 people in our nation that were described as being uh, sort of desperately lonely. That's a lot of people. And, uh, and uh, we, we want to believe that right across the age groups, a multi-generational, dynamic, contemporary church continue, continue to move forward in the power of the Lord. So that's where we're at, and, and we want God to keep working and moving in Jesus' name. So for the next few weeks, we're going to run with this little series called Take Heed. And when Olivia was just putting this slide together for me, she, quite legitimately, she said, well, what does heed mean? And it is an old-fashioned word, and I suppose it's why I've deliberately chosen it. And I'll try and explain it in a moment. But um, in Mark chapter 13 and verse 9, and the context is, I'm just going to read a phrase of it, so you, you perhaps don't even need to turn to it, but it'll just be a launch pad for where we're going to share for the next few minutes. But there in the context of, um, of uh, the, uh, the destruction of the temple, uh, Jesus is preparing his disciples uh, with a word. And in the... Um, or New International Version, it says, be on your guards. But in the old King James or New King James Version, it says, take heed. And uh, for those of you that maybe use an older translation of the Bible, you'll find this little phrase occurs on numbers of occasions in the New Testament. And where we're at for these next few weeks is that we've had a wonderful season. We call it six sizzling summer, uh, Saturday, uh, Sundays rather, not Saturday, six sizzling Sundays. And we've deliberately sort of just, in that sense, in all of its purity, declared the gospel. And we had Terry in, we had Jay in. Great nights. What a great night last week. Brilliant. And you just live on the fumes of that on the following day. It was just brilliant. And uh, just breaking ground, people coming, people being prayed for, believing for God to do something. And uh, we just thank God for that. We're just in a season where we're just moving forward. People that are absolutely committed to us, people coming to us. We're just going to look at a few things that uh, uh, just we've perhaps talked about in different contexts before, before. But in terms of the journey of Arena Church going forward, in terms of that tension of having done much but with much to do, running again to some things that are very much at the heart of all that we are in Arena, that we take heed to them, that we give ourselves to them, that we are absolutely committed to all that God is doing. So... In answer to the word heat, then it literally means to take note, to be attentive, to observe, to listen, to have regard. All of those things. You see, maybe your grandma and granddad would have used this sort of language when they gave you some sound advice. And then they realized that you weren't listening. You see, they would say something like, see, he didn't take heed to what I've got to say. They didn't listen. They didn't observe what they've got to say. And where we're trying to share this is in no sense with any negativity, but it's to ensure that as a group of Christians here in Arena, we continue to stay on track 
to all that God is doing. Being attentive, taking note, observant, responsive to all that God wants to do in our lives. And just for this week, the subject matter tonight is similar to the subject matter this morning. There's a little bit of a shift as we go into it, and then I'm just going to bring some of the similar points towards the end. So, because we want to take heed to the Bible, to the Word of God, we want to take heed to it. You know, the Bible has been built uh, over the years by an amazing sense of people giving themselves to it. I'll come to it in a moment, but the Bible's not just man's idea. The Bible is God's Word to the world. And people have literally given themselves to it. And I want to encourage us tonight, Arena Mansfield, to take heed to the word because there are those that would oppose the word. And if you like, there's, there's a spirit of, of, abroad in, in, in the heavenlies, in culture, in society, that would stand against the word. And it expresses itself in different ways. Let me mention two or three to you. Uh, it'll come against us in what we'd call intellectualism. Now, please hear me. Arena Church has absolutely no problem with people pursuing study. If you're at university, fantastic. If if you're doing uh, uh, courses to back on what you're doing at work, brilliant. If if you're a mature student that's decided, oh yeah, I think I'll do a degree, brilliant. So we're not against any of that. We do not believe that you've got to sort of put your brains at the door to be able to be part of the church. We really don't. And we need thinkers in these days. We need people that will arise with a good apologetic for the cause of the good news of Jesus. But intellectualism is not that. It's something that brings us to a place of really sort of saying that we're cleverer than God. And, and uh, that we, 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 we sort of rail against him. We've got lots of people nowadays that are very quick to say, yeah, I'm an atheist. Not sure how many of them really are. But, you know, some of the expression of that is, that I'm too clever to think that there could ever be a creator God. I'm too clever to think that, that God could ever come and, in the person of Jesus Christ and give his life to me. And that pushes against the word. Then what about relativism, particularly perhaps appropriate to an emerging 21st century culture? Many people tonight in the church in their teens, early 20s, and fantastic to see them working through their faith in a modern 21st, what's often described as a postmodern culture. And relativism is at the very heart of that because here's how it expresses itself. It's all right you talking about your Bible, mate, and saying that there's only one way to God, but you see, truth nowadays is whatever you make it up to be. It's what you feel it is. It's what you decide it is. That's sort of the expression of the language. Maybe tomorrow if you go to college or school or or into the place of work, you'll get people talking like that. Don't give me your Bible, because I've decided what truth is for me. In other words, the only thing that they're sure about is they're not sure about anything. They deny absolutes. They push back on the authority of the Word of God. Many of you will live in contexts where that happens on a regular basis. It's what we call relativism. It's very much at the heart of a 21st century culture the church has to be aware of it it has to sort of recognize it It has to seek to engage with it but it can't be defined by it now what about cynicism so somebody says to you tomorrow so where were you on sunday you said some sort in church you know and where you know and it ends up that the conversation goes 
at the sort of a, like a guffaw or leg pulling, or maybe it gets a bit more sort of, uh, sort of uh, uh, sharp than that. But people say, you don't believe in that, do you? In other words, they're just utterly cynical of the fact that you could believe in a book of ancient texts that absolutely has something to say to a present world, but that is the Bible. And then what about reversionism? This is, this is something that's very apparent at the moment. This is actually where sometimes you get people in the church, talking about the church generally, seeking to redefine what the Bible says to fit in with the world in which we live. We, 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 re, we revise what the Bible's saying. And I don't want to go there tonight in any specific ways, friends, but in terms of our moral ethic, in terms of what the Bible says, for instance, about marriage, and there's been a massive debate about that, as you know, in our nation this year, etc., etc., where people are rising up and saying, yeah, well, I can sort of see what they're getting at, and get the Bible to fit that. Here's the truth. The Bible's always been counterculture. It's always stood up for things, friends, that don't easily sit with what culture is saying in its particular time. Now, in this church, we're passionate about the words. We don't want to be belligerent in the wrong sense. We don't want to be arrogant. But we do want to be passionate. We do want to be on fire for what we believe is the word of God. We're not saying we're the best communicators in the world but we'll try and communicate the word. And I'm not going there this morning, but it's, it's, it's not just about the preaching and teaching of the word. It's about us receiving from it as well. But we believe still in these days, whether it's me, whether it's Christian, whether it's Josh, whether it's one of the girls, whoever's standing up, whoever gets an opportunity to minister, whether it be Paul or Steve or Andy or whatever, that when people get up, that word can change our lives forever. It can come to us, it can wash over us, it can build a fire in our hearts. You may say, well, I don't think I'm going to remember all that you've said, Phil, at the end of the night. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, but receive something. And here's the truth in terms of modern technology. If you feel that God's really spoken to you, then listen to the podcast again. Let it just come to you afresh. And uh, people in our church often like to take notes. Not everybody does. I'm not saying you've got to. Make yourself open to receiving what God's saying because we do believe that this is not just the thing that we do in the second part of the meeting. Ah, yeah, first part of the meeting, these people go and play instruments and we sing a few songs and the second part of the meeting, somebody gets up and talks. We believe in, friends, that this is the very heart of what God's called us to be as the gathered church. We worship the Lord and we hear his word that changes us forever. We need to take heed to what God's is saying. So what I'm going to try and do over the next few minutes is just to paint a few colours for you. This is the bit of the message that is repetitive. And so those of you that heard it this morning, please bear with me, but hopefully it'll still carry life tonight. But I'm going to mention seven things about the Word of God because I want to impassion you for the Word. I'm going to make two calls tonight at prayer at the end. One is I'm going to Invite people that have never responded to the word, have never said, you know, I'm going to commit my life to Jesus. But also, as we were worshipping tonight and praying, I believe there are people in this meeting where God's doing something. You can't sort of quite define it, but there's something in there where there's a passion arising for the Bible. And I want to pray for people at the end. I'm, not, I'm just going to do that in terms of maybe some sort of response. But I want to tell you that I've been there. See, I'm getting old, you know. 
And my, my daughter, I mean, my eldest daughter was 30 two weeks ago. And uh, so that made me feel really old. And they're not slow to tell me, you know, I'm out of touch. I need to get a grip, you know, and all this. And I'm, I'm desperately hanging on with my fingertails to technology and all of those sorts of things. And just when I think I crack it, I've cracked it, a Josh or a Pete will come along and just absolutely, you know, they're there. You know, the day that I got an iPhone 4, guess what? This is absolutely true. The iPhone 5 came out. It's absolutely It's absolutely true. But I'm trying. I'm really trying. You see, but it started for me when I was, if I can speak to young people your age, something began to birth within me that gave me a love for the Word of God. That I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't know where, how it was going to work out. But something began to arise in me to say, I love that Word. It, it's changing me. It's impacting me. And I want somehow, Lord, to communicate it with other people. And I want to go there towards the end of the service. So here's, and I'm going to run through these real quick, so don't worry, you're not going to be too long. But I, I want to just encourage us tonight to take heed that in all that's taken place over the last months, in all the things that we've had to do, in, 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 in all the, the situations here, I mean, the times we've walked in here and there's been sawdust all over the place and planks of wood and, you know, we looked at each other at times and maybe didn't even say and thought, are we ever going to get there? But we have carpet on the floor and painted walls and lights and, it's just incredible. In all that God's doing, we need to take heed to things that will last even way beyond the life of this building. They really will. They'll last in God's purpose into eternity. Tonight, take heed to the word. Why? Because of the claims that it makes. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture or all of the Bible is God-inspired or God-breathed and is profitable for, uh, for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, and instructing, and training, so that every one of us be, may be equipped in every good work. You see, friends, this book tonight is not just a book, it's a God-breathed book. Forgive me for saying it, I don't want to sound like one of those TV evangelists, but God went, he breathed upon the words. There's 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, 27 in the New, and they joined together with a wonderful symmetry and unity that only the Holy Spirit could bring about. There's around about 36 writers, men and women, that brought together those 66 books over a period of about 1,600 years. And God took hold of their different personalities, their styles, their circumstances, their problems, their situations, their challenges, and brought together his word over their lives. Not that they were dictator machines that all did it exactly the same, But God took hold of their humanity to bring the divinity of the word that comes together in what we would call the Bible. And so we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke and John right at the beginning of the Gospels. And the Gospel means good news. And if you read those Gospels, particularly Matthew, Mark and Luke that are called the Synoptic Gospels, in other words they're very close together, you'll find that they tell lots of the similar stories of Jesus' life but they come at it a little bit differently. And people say, ah, you see, the Bible's inconsistent. It contradicts itself. And you don't be intimidated by those throwaway lines. No, it doesn't. Tonight, sadly, we see an accident as we're driving out of Mansfield. Just coming down the road here, somebody sort of knocks into a, another car. And I'm watching it, Josh is watching it, Pete's watching it, Victoria's watching it, Steve's watching it. And policeman comes along and says, 
Anybody witness that? Yeah, you know what? We'll also have something a bit different about how we saw it. Because that's how it happens. And the Gospels are simply God the Holy Spirit taking all the four different people and all of them seeing it a little bit differently, but it all comes together, together to give us the whole picture. So God has done this. We don't have time tonight to, to, to look at how God sort of pulled that together in a supernatural way. But make no mistake, friends, tonight, God has pulled together his word. It may be tonight that some of you are in sales. And I was in sales for a number of years. And Monday morning, you think, you know, we're back to square one. And however good a week I had last week, the manager says, we can do better this. It's always the same. And he's been there, you know, and others. Maybe you're in sales and you're back to zero tomorrow and you need some selling points. You need something that's going to be the hook to pull people in. Well, the Bible's got some great selling points. It's accuracy. So, oh, yeah, yeah, but what about them Dead Sea Scrolls? I mean, that proved they weren't accurate. Did it? Actually, it proved exactly the opposite. In other words, friends, the accuracy of how the word had been handed down through history is incredible. And then the unity of the Bible in the sense that it all speaks about the, the, the redemption purpose of God in Jesus, how that God's forever trying to pull people back to himself. He's passionate about a friendship, a relationship with you. The Bible tells us that story. And then it's authority that speaks into our lives and changes, and so we could go on. Secondly, we need to heed the word because of the foundation that it gives. Right at the end of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells a story. He was a brilliant storyteller. And right at the end of Matthew chapter six, uh, 7, he's, he's given what we, we know as the Sermon on the Mount. You see, people were expecting Jesus to be a, a politician. They wanted him to upturn the tables and get rid of the Romans. He says, no, no, no I've not come to do that. He says, I've come to bring another kingdom that's going to last forever, the rule of God. The kingdom that's come, but the kingdom that's coming. The kingdom it is, but now not in fullness. That's what God is doing. That's sometimes what is a battle on. That's why we need to pray increasingly over Mansfield. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, this piece of the earth as it is in heaven. God responds to prayers like that. And so he gave them principles. He gave them uh, laws. He, uh, not, when I say laws, not laws in the sense of laws to fail, but he gave them principles to live out. He talked about integrity. Nowadays, he'd be saying, make sure you don't park your car on that place so you can get in trouble. And so we could go on. And at the end of it, he said, you see, it's like two men that were building houses. One was building his house on a sure foundation of rock. And somebody else was building the, the house on a shallow foundation of sand. And the storm came, not only building, but both buffeted. And when the storm blew upon the houses, the house that stood on the strong foundation, it stood firm. But the house that stood on the shaky, shallow foundation, it crashed to the ground. And there's a good news that goes out there in terms of Christian church friends that makes me cringe sometimes because it goes something like this. He says, if you, if you give your life to Jesus, you'll be happy ever after. You'll never have a problem. Nothing will ever go wrong. You'll never feel anything in here that will cause you to hurt. You'll just float off into the sunset. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. And the reality is, friends, that that is not the true gospel. Let me tell you tonight, Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it in all of his fullness. I absolutely believe that. I believe the greatest decision anybody can make is to give their life to Jesus. I really do. Life in all of its fullness. But it would be wrong of me tonight to say to the Christian church in Arena Mansfield that you'll never get a storm. 
Because sometimes storms come, not because we're looking for them, not because we're chasing them, not even because we deserve them. But inexplicably, storms can come. It may be a financial issue. It may be job insecurity. It may be a sickness. It may be a problem domestically at home. I don't know what it is, but sometimes storms can come. And around this room, we have got people that have had to negotiate storms. As Christians, not because they're bad people, but because they're good people. Not because they've done anything wrong, but because they're doing everything right. Not because they're outside of the will of God, but because they're right in the middle of the will of God. God says, if you'll build your life upon the word, if you'll take heed to the words, even when a storm comes, you'll stand. There's that great song that comes out of Hillsong that says, when the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the floods. I will be still and know that you are God. Briefly, we need to take heed to the word because of the growth that it brings. And the Bible helps us in this progression of growth by describing itself in metaphors to help us understand the growth process as both milk and meat. You see, a little baby having to cope with a three-course roast dinner is not something that will happen. This little baby that's been born into the world today, been born to the Mangans, been born into Arena Church as well, it's not going to be sat down at a three-course meal next week. It's going to be on the milk. But there's going to come a day, because Samson's already there, that's the other little baby, was the baby, now the little boy, where he's, he's getting stuck into the meat and the potatoes because he's growing. You see, milk won't work, sorry, meat won't work for the baby any more than milk will, build, will work for some of these strapping lads here tonight that are growing. And the mum or the dad says, tell you what, it's just milk this week. That's it. You just, just milk. Whew. They'll be going crazy because they want some meat, they want some potatoes, they want some chips, they want whatever it is because... They're sort of growing. That's the progression of the church, friends. We allow people to process the milk so that they might come onto the meat. The meat is not you going around saying, I've got a revelation in God that nobody else understands. Whoa, because I'm on the meat. The meat is simply you coming to maturity. It's arising in God to increasingly be the person that God's called you to be. Number four, we need to take heed of the word because salvation of the salvation that is proclaimed. What does the word salvation mean? It's all right me standing at the front using a Bible word, a Christian word. It simply means to be rescued or to be saved. And there are many examples in life of people that have been plucked from fires and earthquakes and storms and perilous situations. And somebody has been described as their savior, their salvation. One of my favorites in recent times happened four or five years ago. And it was an everyday flight, internal flight that was taking place in the USA. And the flight took off from LaGuardia Airport in New York and it hit a flock of birds and immediately both engines were completely immobilized. And so with 155 people on, on board, crew and, and passengers, it was now a glider, not a plane. And just before the captain lost contact with air traffic control, he, he over the radio said these immortal words, he says, we're coming down on the Hudson. And his name was Chesley Sullenberger. What a name. Whoa, come on. He was made for greatness with a name like that. And so the captain, not panicking, but now got a glider, came down and brought, some of you saw the pictures, he brought it down on the Hudson River that runs just on the exterior of New York City. 155 people were saved. Amazing. I watched a documentary sometime later where somebody analyzed the physics that was involved to bring it down. I think it was 17 degrees 
that that plane had got to hit the water. Otherwise, the potential for the fuselage to disintegrate and many lives to be lost was massive. That day, that man was everybody else's salvation. Wonderful story. But the greatest story of all is far, far greater than that. It involves all the millions of people in the earth that have ever lived. And God says, it grieves my heart that people are lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send Jesus, my son, my only son, into the earth. He's going to die on a cross for everybody's wrongdoing. We call it sin. He's going to bridge the gap between me and man. He's going to be our salvation. The Bible says in Acts 4 and verse 12 that salvation is found in no other. But all for the night when you knew that you found salvation, when you knew that you were saved. And tonight, if you don't know that you're saved, Jesus is the greatest savior that ever lives and the Bible points us to salvation. We need to take heed. Number five, friends, we need to take heed because of the impact that the Bible makes. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says that the, Bible, the word is like a double-edged sword. Piercing to the very inner being of our hearts. <clears throat> In one of the Saturday papers, they have a, an article on the back page called The Definite Article. And they'll get playwrights and, and sportsmen and, and uh, entertainers. And they'll ask them lots of questions. One of the questions they'll ask is, what is the book that's had most impact upon your life? And people will talk about different books that have impacted them. Interestingly, I've never yet read one person, or maybe one, who said it was the Bible that had an impact upon my life. But here's the truth. Whatever great literature you've read, whatever fantastic biographies, whatever brilliant novels, there's no book that can impact your inner being like the Word of God. It, it comes to our heart. When I'm talking about your heart, I'm not talking about that organ that pumps blood around that keeps you alive. I'm talking about the real you. The real you. What makes Jacob tick is his heart. What makes Josh what he is, it's his heart. It's not the exterior. God doesn't look on the outward appearance, he looks on the heart. And the Bible comes to minister to your heart. Forgive me for using this cliche. It's, it's a little bit hackneyed, it's well used, but it's true. Someone says that the problem of the heart is the heart of the problem. You see tonight, friends, why do we have wars in the world? Because of people's hearts. Why do we have injustice? Because of people's hearts. Why do sometimes people send things to needy nations and it get, never gets to the people that need to receive it? Because of people's hearts. Why do we have fractured relationships? Because it all flows out of the heart. The Bible says out of the heart the mouth speaks. You know, I used to work with some guys that could let the language go. And he told me one thing straight away. They've got a heart problem. They've got a heart problem. Out of the heart the mouth speaks. Some of you here tonight, maybe before you became a Christian... Use language that you're not particularly proud about. And when God touched your heart, it changed. It changed. It changed. Miraculously changed at times. You, you couldn't put it down to science or psychology or trying hard. God had changed your heart. And the way that you spoke became differently. And tonight, if you need God to cleanse your heart, to change your heart, to shape your heart, his word can do it. You need to take heed to it. Sixthly, you need to take... Heed to the word of God because of the wisdom that it shares. There's a book in the Bible called Proverbs, which is a whole book, 31 chapters of wise sayings. And it says these words in chapter 4. Get wisdom. Do not forget my words or turn or swerve from them. As I've already said, wisdom is not being clever, clever. In fact, the Bible sometimes describes, as Paul describes himself, in quotes, as a fool for Christ's sake. 
And God takes all the people that seem foolish, that live in the wise ways of God. If you will commit to the wise ways of God, God will help you in an amazing way. The Bible says of wisdom that she is the tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. And there's lots of unwise things being done today. And we need to come to the wise ways of God. You don't have to be gray-eared and old to be wise. I'm believing for a passionate young generation that will rise up to live the wise ways of God. And that people come to you and say, what is it about you? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 of one of my life verses, that it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God will be declared to the principalities and powers. And that word literally means the many varied colors of God's wisdom. We've had agencies in local communities coming to the church asking us to help them because they realize there's a wisdom in God in terms of what we're doing. It's because of the word. And finally, friends, we need to take heed of the word because of the time that it spans. 1 Peter 1.25 says that the word of the Lord endures forever. It endures forever. The pace of change in life is phenomenal. I've already uh, mentioned about technology. Absolutely incredible. It goes forward unabated. And I, you, you laugh at me sometimes, but you see, I'm so old that there was a time when there wasn't any mobile phones. Computers were as big as that box that Neil and Jordan and Morgan are sitting. That was a small one, you know. You couldn't just go like this. If you didn't know the answer, Google it. It wasn't, see. So some of us have had a real big journey on our plate, you know. To stay up with you guys, we're never going to stay up with you. But some of you grow up, and the first thing that happened when you were born is that your mum dropped her iPhone into your crib and says, there you go, you can play on that. You know, the pace of change is phenomenal. Some of us went to listen to a futurist prophetic preacher called Mal Fletcher in the spring, and Mal has got such an insight into the future. It's incredible, friends. It's incredible. And the pace of change is not any, anywhere now about to slow down. But in all of that, in all of that, so easy to take notice of your iPhone, of your tablet, of computer, of all that stuff that comes in. But what are you listening to? You need to take heed to the word. Because God's not nervous. He knew all this was going to happen. He's not nervous. And he says, in all of that, my word's going to endure forever. That will have a young generation that will arise. They may communicate it a bit differently. They may do things in a different way, but they'll have a passion. So you know what? I'm going to pick the baton up. I was listening to an American CD, so it should be the baton. But I'm going to pick the baton up from, from a, a generation that's coming on before me. I'm going to pick that baton. I'm going to carry the word. I'm going to take the word. I'll communicate it to my generation in a way that they'll be able to respond to. But I'm going to be committed in all that's taking place in the 21st century to the enduring word of God. I'm really believing for people that will do exactly that. Because the word of the Lord is settled forever in heaven. So I close, friends, by encouraging us tonight in this next season of Arena Mansfield to take heed, to be noting of what God's doing, to be observing, to be listening, 
to be responding. And the first thing I want us to think about, and there'll be several things that we'll roll out, roll out over the next five or six weeks. The first thing I want us to think about tonight is that we take note afresh of the Word of God. Why? Because of its claims. God's on the Word. Because of the foundation that it gives. And tonight you may have come to church and you're going through a storm. And we want to say we want to stand with you. But the foundation it gives, you'll get through it. You'll stand strong if you'll continue to take heed to the Word. Because of what it does to help you grow. To get you from meat, milk to meat. To be a mature believer. Because of the salvation that it brings. If you're not saved tonight, that you say, to know that Jesus has saved me. Because of the impact that it makes to change your heart forever. Because of the wise ways that it shows you how to live. And because it's going to endure forever. It's a word to the world. It's a a word to the church. It's a word to you. It's a word to me. It's a word to us. Let's increasingly take heed. To the word, let's pray.